evening and welcome to a preseason edition of the JMU Sports Blog Podcast. I'm Todd. I'm joined as always by my buddy Rob. What's up, Rob? Good. Good evening, everyone. Yeah, I hope everyone is doing well. As we record tonight on Monday night, we are less than 13 full days away from the season opening kickoff at NC State. Uh, we are definitely getting in the mood for football. Um, the Dukes have already kicked off their season in a couple other sports, women's soccer with the first victory of the year over Maryland over the weekend. That's good to see. Um, Rob and I are, I, I don't know about you, Rob, I'm, I'm definitely getting excited now. <laughs> I got the old yeah, visor out, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cl- it's classic, classic Todd right there. Um, I got to locate my visor. I think it's been <laughs> kind of been taken over by my son. Um, so now there's at least one other member of the young generation. Smart. Where's one besides us? Yeah. yeah. Smart, goofy kids. So, like, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah, we are really excited. We um, have a great show tonight. And just generally, I think, you know, I was getting my sort of pregame music there all set up tonight, thinking about it. Um, definitely excited for tonight and for the preseason. Um, as we told you last week, we're going to have Greg Medea from the DNR tonight. Really excited about that. Um, one of our favorite guests and certainly probably the most knowledgeable guest we, we have about JMU football. Uh, so tonight should be great. As always, we are brought to you by Pale Fire Brewing, and we are happy to announce that uh, Pilfire has uh, is back with us for a whole another season here, so big thanks to Tim and Susan there at Pilfire. Uh, they are very much on board, and we're excited to do this, go through this process again for whatever whatever small amount it's worth to them. Um, we are really excited. I we we won't say anything tonight. We may not say anything in the next week or so, um, but we do have some cool things coming up with them this fall. Uh, we we're talking about some ideas, um, maybe or may may not be around homecoming. But we'll have a lot more to come on that. Should be a pretty fun chance for, could be a fun chance for us to interact with the few of you out there that listen and, and that care about all this stuff and, and hopefully drink some great beer as well. So visit the tap room there in Harrisonburg. And as always, if you mention the podcast, Jamie Sports Blog Podcast, you get a free pint glass and you can find their great beers all over Virginia. Anybody who wants to, um, you know, I don't know. I'll make you a trade. If anybody wants to bring me down some pale fire to the NC State game, I, I will be there and be happy to uh, trade some North Carolina beers for it. So, yeah, get, get to some tall boys. That's right. I'm uh, going to do a little research on the uh, first beer of the week coming up here in a couple of weeks. So overall, um, that's pretty much where we are tonight. I know we're, again, really excited to have Greg next week, next uh, Monday or Tuesday. We will be recording our official and full size JMU sports blog preseason preview our season preview edition so really looking forward to that as well hopefully rob and i will be much more knowledgeable after tonight's conversation in another week of camp team is certainly season is getting close it really is man like (laughs) it's no longer just us saying that kind of wistfully or hopefully it really is right around the corner Mm -hmm. um i don't know i mean it was like oh 13 days days. but then i just started realizing like next week we go into our essentially regular schedule yeah. you know we'll, we'll get going with predictions and doing game previews and it really just kind of dawned on me this morning i'm, I'm super stoked i can't wait for the season yes hallelujah to that <laughs> yes these things uh write themselves during the season uh, yeah they really do but I, again you know I, I hope that there are tons of you out there getting back on board uh this week and next the last couple of weeks here as we get closer to the season welcome back to um all of you no um no ill will at all we would be in the same mode sometimes if we if we could but we also want to say a big, big thank you. I think Rob and I thought our audience would drop by pretty much 100% uh, once basketball season was over last year. 
certainly once softball was over. Um, and there's quite a few of you who have stayed with us, and we really, really appreciate it. I, I guess mostly that's thanking uh, family and close friends. But <laughs> and, and the lacrosse team didn't hurt either. Yes, yes, that was a big one, for <laughs> sure. We had a little bump there in June. Uh, so hopefully, I actually had a good time. This I was at the grocery store the other night, and there was a girl. I, I, I'm guessing she was probably an assistant coach or a trainer or something. She was a little older than a college student, but in like full Carolina women's lacrosse garb. And uh, oh. I definitely sort of tried to, you know, mosey my way behind her in my JMU hat. <laughs> she, she didn't think to drop, it drop right. it by the scanner. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, anyways, uh, without further ado, we're going to bring on Greg. All right, and welcome back. We are joined by JMU football beat writer for the Harrisonburg Daily News Record, Greg Medea. Welcome, Greg. Hey, guys. Rob, Todd, how are, how are you? <laughs> we are we glad are to be talking to you. <laughs> yes, glad to be talking some football. The season is almost here. Uh, we are done with all of the nonsense of summer and trying to make something out of nothing and ready for the games to start. So, uh, Yeah. Well, let's, let's just jump right into it. And I guess we got to get this out of the way. The first question that everybody wants to know, and who knows if you have any ins- more insight than, than anybody else, but what's going on with the QB battle? It's close. That's, that's what I'll start with. I <laughs> can say it's as, as close of a quarterback race as, as I've covered in, in probably four or five years since uh, West Virginia had one when I went back when I was on the WVU beat. They had one a couple of years ago that was close. They ended up playing a couple of guys, and it, it didn't really work out uh, for any of the quarterbacks. Uh, this race between Cole Johnson and the pit transfer Ben DiNucci is, is, is as tight as, as it gets at this point in, in training camp. Uh, we're waiting. They're 15, they're 15 days in now, and there's really little, if any, separation at all. Uh, between the two quarterbacks. And I think what's making the decision so tough for, for Mike Houston and Donnie Kirkpatrick is that the skill sets of each guy is so drastically dis- different. They're, they're two different type of players. And so when that happens, it's not like they're evaluating the same exact player and they can kind of mm. plug and play and, and evaluate kind of an, an even bit skill set base. They're, they're, evaluating two completely different styles. Obviously, you guys know Cole Johnson is, is tall, kind of lanky, but throws the ball pretty well down the field, has a, has a very good arm, uh, and, and knows the offense inside and out. Mm-hmm. Minucci, uh, obviously transferring from, from Pitt for spring ball. He's had, he's had a, a good amount of time to learn the offense, uh, but certainly doesn't know it like Johnson does, having spent the last two years with Brian Shore's backup. Uh, Danucci is fast, he's mobile, uh, he can do a lot of re- run-pass option stuff, he can do a lot of stuff with the quarterback run game, extend plays when plays break down. Uh, so you're really choosing which direction you want to take your offense if you're Donnie Kirkpatrick and Mike Houston. And I think that's ultimately what's making this decision so hard is, you know, if you, if you look at this, to the two players, Danucci reminds you more of Brian Shore uh, than Johnson does. So you're really making a decision to move your offense a little bit of a way 
a little bit away from what it's been the past couple of seasons. So I think that is what's making this evaluation so difficult. Uh, in practice, you know, they're, they're each getting first-team reps, an equal amount of first-team reps that's in practice and in scrimmages. Uh, so I think it's making it really, really tough for these coaches to, to ultimately decide. See, that's interesting because it, it kind of backs up everything that Todd and I believe. This is not Kirkpatrick and Houston just blowing smoke or trying to be coy, you know, getting advantage at NC State. It really seems like they don't know. And, and it's nice to hear you break down why. Everybody's always just heard, oh, they're, they're playing, you know, they're both just playing well. But it's really interesting, and I know you would capture this in your spring game notes, just like you had said, but the different skill sets. It's not like you can just, you know, go down a checklist and see if everybody does the same thing. They're doing totally different things, totally different feels. So I'm, I'm oddly not worried about it, Todd. What about you? Mm-mm. No, not really. I mean, I, <laughs> it, it's hard for me because I, I think the receiver in me and, and the one who wants to see him throw the ball down the field to Raleigh Stapleton says, I want to see Cole. But obviously, we've seen such a productive offense with the last couple of years with Brian Shore, and there's no doubt that his ability to extend plays has been a big factor in that. And it's hard to say, like, I'm, I'm guessing, Greg, they're kind of thinking, like, does one or the other add to what we're trying to do? You know, do they – is Danucci's skill set more – I don't know. You know, does that add to the ability to run the ball and be a little more dynamic in the running game? I, who knows? Um, yeah. I think I, that that's the thing, and, and I think they're going to be able to run the ball regardless because that yeah. offensive line is is bigger than it's been since since I've taken over the beat. They're more athletic. Uh, I think the offensive line as a whole. Obviously, there are certain guys in the past couple of years, Aaron Stinney, uh Mitch Kirsch, uh, guys who, who stood out. Uh, but I think if you look at the overall offensive line, that's a group that that's ready to move downhill and. With as many running backs as they have, I think I think they're going to be able to run the ball regardless of who the quarterback is. It's just if you want if if you, if you look at Danucci, uh, you're you're making a conscious decision that the quarterback's going to be involved in the running game. And right. with with Johnson, that option it it may still be there, and you you probably can throw that look in, but you're obviously not going to go to it uh, as much. You're probably going to have to do more off play action. And, and Donnie Kirkpatrick said both Danucci and Johnson are pretty good off play action. They're both effective, uh, even though even though Danucci's probably a little bit more athletic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's it's just too close right now. It, it's really it's really a unique quarterback battle just because both both kids are, are drastically different. Now Danucci broke off a long run in the scrimmage, didn't he? Yes, yes. He had a long a long touchdown run, designed run. Uh, he he threw a touchdown as well. Johnson threw two touchdowns. Uh, it's been it's been even <laughs> kind of just, it, and and the thing was you know I know in the spring game the, the fans got to see what Danucci could do and, and they're kind of excited by that because Danucci had the better spring game. Okay, uh, I would say leading into that spring game, Johnson had the better spring. Johnson was probably the, the more consistent quarterback, and mm. some of that was because Danucci was learning the offense. But yeah, you kind of expect that. But Johnson, but Johnson had a really really good spring, and it just didn't show in that spring game. Uh, throughout camp, it's been throughout this August training camp. It's literally been, you know, one day somebody's good, the next day somebody's having the better day. It's been back and forth, uh, and they've kind of each stepped up and made plays. Like Danucci had the long run for a touchdown, and the very next drive, uh, Cole Johnson comes in and throw, throws a long touchdown. Right. Uh, so it's just they understand the pressure that they're under, and <laughs> it's not it's not going to get more magnified than it is right now between those two guys. And I think. Whoever JMU ends up going going with, I think it's possible. Um, 
it's possible that they maybe uh, use a couple, use both guys at points of time this at times this year. I think mm-hmm. if, if Johnson's your guy, there's no reason you can't have a package for Danucci to, to utilize his his skill set, which is very different. And I think if 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 you're Mike Houston, Donnie Kirkpatrick, you're going to have Cole Johnson ready to go uh, in case you know Danucci doesn't work out with Danucci. So mm-hmm. I think there's a very good chance that that both quarterbacks will see the field this year. Seems like it. Yeah, particularly with Colt's build. Like you said, Cole's not the biggest guy. And uh, if he does, if he is forced to run, obviously not as much as Danucci would. But I think a lot of fans are concerned about kind of not, not his durability, but maybe his frame being able to take the consistent pounding. And we're used to seeing Shore where he was, I don't want to say reckless, but he was a very physical runner for a quarterback. You know, like um, you loved it, you know, diving for extra runs and everything. I don't think we're going to see Johnson do that. Or if we do, I don't think we're going to see Johnson last the full season. The, the one thing I will say about Johnson, and I, I know he's not quick, he's not shifty, but I think from, from what I've seen in practice is he's got enough mobility and awareness in the pocket. I'm, I'm not saying mm-hmm. skip out of the pocket and do some crazy things running the football, but I think he's got a, enough within the pocket to move around and, and shift around defensive line. I think he's smart enough to do that and understands where to go with the ball to be able to kind of maneuver around the, the, the front and the line of scrimmage. Uh, so I think that may be a pos- – I think that's a positive for him, uh, especially if he's going to rely on his arm. Yeah, we saw that no, a couple I, I, years ago. We, we saw that. When he came in against the Villanova, which had a tremendous defense oh, two yeah. years ago, um, he did well. And then Elon, which wasn't a strong team, but he played well. You know, he stepped up in the pocket, avoided the pressure when it was there, made some very nice throws in that game, which was – which was a bit of a laugher, you know, he, they, they got out to a big lead and never looked back, but I'm really confident. I've been excited about him for the past two years. Um, if it turns out Danucci beats him, I guess just be excited. I'll be excited about that as a fan thing, you know, the best guy will win, but I think Jamie's going to be in good shape with either guy. Yeah. I think it's a good, good problem. A good problem to have. It's just, it, it's, there's some anxiousness right now, I think, because I'm sure the coaches, I'm sure they'd like to name a guy and give one guy all the first team reps until, until the NC State game and then maybe reevaluate from there. But if they're going to be fair, like they've always been fair in the past, mm-hmm. they have to keep riding this out until they find a guy or until they you know, ultimately decide uh, to give both guys an opportunity come game time on September 1st. Yeah, and regardless of September 1st, I'm sure that, will pay, that fairness will pay off down the line for, for both guys. So yeah. moving on from the quarterback. <laughs> um, Greg, we, before we get to the running backs and, and some sort of health questions on offense, um, I think we know, you know, we've seen most of the names along the offensive line at times in the last two years. Um, even the guy, even some of the backups we've seen play a considerable amount the last couple of years. We certainly are familiar with all of the running backs except for Jawan Hamilton, um, but that's a big name as well. Is there any name on offense that jumps out at us, that, that, at you, that fans might not be familiar with who's going to see a lot of the field and, and maybe make a big contribution. Yeah, it's Josh Sims, uh, inside receiver, slot receiver, was redshirted last year. He's had just a fantastic camp. I really uh, knew that, that he had to kind of go in and, and win a job because it was there for the taking. They brought in a junior college chance transfer and EJ Morgan from, from ASA College uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, and thought was there that that he would help them, especially after they found out that that Ezra Archie, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be good good to go for at least the start of the season. Uh, so I think Sims, there was some some urgency there. There was some come on, you know, get, get going. <laughs> and 
and he, he's really he's really had a, a fine camp, consistent, uh, had really good days, made some outstanding catches uh, in that first scrimmage. He caught a couple of passes from Danucci and a really long one uh, from Cole Johnson uh, on a nice post pattern. I, I think I think Sims has looked great, and you know that that spot's been a dynamic place uh, for for James Madison. You know, yeah. Past couple of years, John Miller, Miller, Rashard Davis, Davis. Yeah. yeah, and Sims is not as big as those guys, which is which is kind of saying something considering those guys aren't very big, right? Uh, but uh, he's upped his weight from you know he came in. He told me he came in at about 140 pounds last year at high school. <laughs> he's up to about 150, 155 pounds now. So he feels like he's he's got enough quickness where he can elude some linebackers and he's put on just enough weight to survive a season that that's that's kind of how at least he put it to me <laughs> well you had some good quotes in the piece you did on him a couple weeks ago from Riley Stapleton and Stapleton made it sound like he wasn't surprised he's like no this guy was really doing it every year uh, every week last week in the scout team which is kind of how we as fans started to hear about Riley Stapleton you know a couple of years ago he was kind of the hot name and oh there's guys gonna be ready for the future so it's certainly exciting to think of another receiver uh, playing that slot position where Jamie has had so much success in this offense. And they've needed somebody to step up there because uh, you think you think about that receiver position, it's really Riley Stapleton, David Eldridge, and, and everybody else going Yeah, there. Yeah. And, and there could have been, you know, it, it could have been anybody to step up. And it seems like Josh Sims is just the guy. Uh, you talk to Donnie Kirkpatrick and, and even Mike Houston and, and a bunch of the offensive players, and, you know, they're, they're kind of all on the same page with, with what you see out there when you're at practice, and that's – and that's the Josh Sims is is have is, is put together a good camp and has set himself up to, to probably start that September first game. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's good great to hear. So now we've got a couple players from last year who are dealing with injuries. We've got guys like Cardin Johnson, um, Nick Carlton, uh, Curtis Oliver. How are they looking, or are you able to to share how they're how they're looking in terms of health? Cardin Johnson is going to be fine. They, they've kept them out of certain drills. He's he's as healthy as he's been in, in a couple of years. Uh, they've kept him out of certain drills just because, you know, if there's no reason to push a sixth-year running back that already knows anything <laughs> that he needs to know about college football. That's, right. that's as simple as it gets. He's been held out of both scrimmages. Uh, they've gotten him some live reps during team period. Uh, so uh, nothing to worry about with Cardin Johnson. Uh, Carlton uh, is, is kind of still in that recovery process uh, with the injury he suffered last year. Uh, Houston told me, you know, it's kind of up in the air right now. If he'll be good to go uh, for week one. And that tight end spot, yeah, I think if you look anywhere on a roster, uh, that position is is probably, I'd, I'd say probably the thinnest of any position on James Madison's roster because uh, without Carlton, it's it's Clayton Cheatham and uh, a lot of walk-ons. Matt Collin, right. Jesse Lane, Zach Polglaze. Polglaze, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's guys that, that you know, yeah, maybe aren't ready to see the field yet. Uh, yeah. if that's fair. I think Cullen could contribute, uh, you know, maybe in a backup role if they need him to. But uh, it's going to be a lot of Clayton Cheatham on the field at tight end, just out of necessity. Uh, Curtis Oliver was told he'll, be, you know, was told he'll be back at practice sometime this week. Uh, Charles Putt is another guy at corner who's who's kind of on the road to recovery. Uh, last year, you know, he suffered that injury in camp and, and never got on the field last season. It was a season ender before the season began. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to be back on the man. He's been limited at practice, but, but kind of working his way in. Uh, so I think health-wise, uh, they're okay right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, if there's one position to worry about, I, I would say it's probably a tight end spot. 
It's funny to hear. Do you think that tight end spot, I mean, I, with all the running backs they have, I, I imagine it's not going to hurt them too bad in the passing game if they, if they need to field some bodies running short patterns. Um, but is it, I, I would assume it's more of a concern in the run game. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a totally fair assessment. Uh, I think that what they'll end up doing is, is playing multiple backs uh, because, you know, if you, if you play multiple backs, odds are you're not using two or three tight ends. Right. Uh, you've seen James Madison do that at times where they use multiple tight end sets. Uh, you know, last year it was, you know, Klusterman and Cheatham at the same time right. or Klusterman and Carlton. Uh, so I, I don't think I don't think you'll see as many double tight sets as, as you have in the past with, with JMU. Uh, what I do think is is that they'll they'll use those multiple running backs to spread out a defense a little bit. Uh, all those guys can catch passes pretty well out of the backfield. Trey mm-hmm. Sharp probably has the best hands of the bunch. He caught a he caught about a forty nine yard touchdown pass the other day, if I remember correctly, in a scrimmage. Oh wow! So I I think he's I think he's totally capable if they needed him to. I think the emergence of Sims has given them another option in that in that inside receiver spot. Mm-hmm. Cheatham can obviously, you know, play do the tight end stuff and catch passes if they need him to. And they have some other guys. I wouldn't be surprised if, if you see in certain sets Riley Stapleton move to inside receiver if they want mm-hmm. a bigger body in the middle. If they if you if you're kind of lacking that tight end spot, uh-huh. that's an option for them. Uh, which which is not a bad option to have if you just have to move your six or five <laughs> receiver inside. Yeah. Right. So I think they have options and they're they're kind of prepared. Uh, but it is it is a spot of concern for sure, just like I was saying. Yeah. Now, a lot of new names are guys getting more playing time, especially this year on the defense. You know, they're replacing a lot of guys. Any names that have jumped out? Is there a Josh Sims who's emerged on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's a lot of guys. Like, like Sims, he was on the team last year, but he was redshirted. So, you know, yeah. whatever you want to count that for a season. It's a lot of guys who have been on the roster and played on special teams or okay. the team looks that way. Uh, John Docker or something. Right, like yeah, exactly. John Docker is at one rising up the roster. Uh, I think I think you can look at which is this is gonna be weird to say because he's played, but Dimitri Holloway is healthy. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. And that, we're talking about the injury stuff. That's that's huge for them getting him back mm-hmm. and they need him. You know, you think about uh, them only bringing back four starters on defense between Darius Carter uh, and the three cornerbacks, Robinson, Moreland, and Oliver. Uh, they need somebody in that middle of the defense with some experience, and he's got it. And you think about the last time he played when he was healthy, it was that semifinal game up in the yeah. Rocco Dome, and he had a career-high 16 tackles in that game. Yeah, he was uh, unreal. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He's been good when he's been on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, JMU just has to do whatever he, whatever it can uh, to, to make sure he's good to go for the entire season. Uh, I think somebody that you will see a lot of on defense – uh, is D'Angelo Amos. I'm I'm pretty confident he's locked <laughs> up one of the starting safety spots. I know that's been a, a pretty big question. Uh, I get asked a lot on Twitter about yep. it. And I, I, when people see me, they're like, what's going on at quarterback? What's going on at safety? I'm like, okay. Uh, but, uh, D'Angelo Amos, I think, has locked up a job at safety. He, he's had a nice camp. Uh, and, and Mike Houston had told me today that, that he thinks uh, Amos is just night and day. Uh, improve from where where he was when when, they, when those two first met. So I, I think that's a positive sign for JMU. But it's it's not going to be easy to replace, you know, what Raven Green and Jordan Brown did did for that defense last year. Now, what about Wayne Davis? Is he? Do we think he's going to step in and start the other safety position? So he's in a position battle uh, with Adam Smith. 
uh, for, for that free safety spot. And I, I think I think you'll see Wayne Davis on the field. They're going to find ways to get him on the field, even if he doesn't win the starting job. Like last year, you, you think back to the two safety spots, and the reason why Jordan Brown and Raven Green didn't come off the field was just because you couldn't take those guys off the field. Right. They, they were, were there the forever. Too good. They were not coming off the field. And as much as Amos has locked up a starting job and, and Adam Smith and Davis are in are in a battle, I think maybe, you know, with the number of snaps that that defense can play and with the inexperience that they have, with the, I guess, lack of experience uh, would be the better term. I, I don't think it's unreasonable to play, you know, a couple of guys at that safety position at least early on, uh, those two safety spots at least early on uh, to get to get an experience and get kind of that game look. Uh, so I think Davis will be in there in the mix. You certainly don't bring a guy in from Ohio State to sit him on a bench. <laughs> no, but it, it also speaks a lot to the to the strength of the roster that he didn't walk in and be declared a starter automatically. Oh you know, yeah, that says a lot about about Smith and the rest of the defense. So that's uh that that's exciting from a fan's perspective. You know, he's he's certainly got a ton of talent. Wasn't he a four star coming out of high school? Yeah, four star recruit out of Lake Taylor High School, and and that's the thing. You know, my, Houston has brought in a lot of transfers. Uh, since mm-hmm. since he's arrived, and, and really, they've all had to earn their spot. Nobody was given or handed a, a starting job, and and those that you know that that have come in and think they they will, you know, really never end up seeing the field or leave. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it, I'm serious. It, it's yeah, the way they we've work. forgotten the quarterback's name already. <laughs> right, right. It's the, yeah. and, and you know, you think about the UVA transfer, Juwan Moy. He he was kind of in that boat. Uh, this past spring, you know, he was on the roster for the first, you know, 10, 11, 12 spring practices and then gone by the time the spring game rolled around. Uh, wow. You think about the guys they brought in now and, you know, they're fighting for jobs. Wayne Davis, uh, Paris Black is, is running with the second team defense at defensive tackle, uh, but he'll play probably. He'll be in a rotation spot, uh, you know, behind Mike Green and uh, Adiba Tawa. Uh, I learned how to say that. Nice. Was it uh, Sunday night at media day? Uh, so I learned how to say that when I talked to a D, but, uh, you know, and, and you can think about Juwan Hamilton and, uh, and those guys. So I, I think, you know, you, you look at James Madison's roster and, and they're loaded with transfers, but all those guys have to earn their, their playing time from, from guys that have been on the roster, been invested in the program and uh, have, have taken time, uh, have taken time to earn the right to, to try to play as well. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. something that Todd and I have harped on, you know, all since Houston came on board. He really preaches that every spot is going to be up for competition, and he wants competition all across the field, across up and down the roster. And I think it definitely pays dividends. Um, one of those battles that everybody's watching is is the place kicking battle. You know, we we Jamie who had two guys uh, take kicks last year. Both of them hit a number of big kicks. How's that shaking out? Is it is it much quarterback battle, or is one guy kind of taking the lead? I, I don't think it's quite like the quarterback battle because I think there's a role for both of those guys. I think mm-hmm. Tyler Gray probably does kickoffs a little bit better okay. uh, than, than Ethan Ratke, but I think Ratke, with what he did last year, you know, filling in for Gray who had injury and then, you know, kicking. I know Gray has one of the biggest kicks in school history as well, <laughs> but, but yeah. Ratke had one to, to, to help JMU survive Weber State yeah. uh, and move on in the playoffs. Uh, I think – it, the coaches have said, you know, it's it's, it's a very close battle. Uh, at the end of the day, I think it'll be one guy doing one job and one guy doing the other. If I had to take a guess right now, it would be Ratke kicking field goals and Tyler Gray uh, kicking off. 
Okay. That, that sounds good. We've seen that before. While we're on the, the kicking thing, uh, Greg, I saw you um, wrote a piece today about the, uh, the new kick, kicking rule. Yes. And I'm kind of wondering if maybe you could just uh, explain to us what, what's going on with that. Okay, so new, new for this year, the NCAA, uh, they approved it back in April. Okay, so on a kickoff, and this, is, this may look weird the first time people see it from the stands, uh, if the ball is caught on a kickoff, uh, is fair caught on a kickoff? Let me say that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's fair yeah. caught on a kickoff uh, inside uh, the returner's own 25-yard line. They can fair catch the ball, and the ball will automatically be placed at the 25-yard line as if it were a touchback. Wow. So okay. that's that's the new rule. Uh, I talked with Houston a little bit about it this morning, and he was kind of like, you know, it's just going to be one of those wait-and-see things. You know, he thinks – uh, he, he, he's not sure how it's going to quite impact the game. He said, obviously, if, if there's a dynamic returner, you know, maybe that returner is always going to just go no matter what and, 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 and try to score a touchdown and try to get <laughs> right. a better field position because, yeah, the 25, I think the quote was, yeah, the 25-yard line's great, but, you know, what about the 30? Because that, that's where JMU likes to, likes to be when they start a drive. That's what he said. Yeah. He'd prefer to be right around the 30-yard line. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it yep. matters. But uh, maybe if there's a really good kicker that's talented enough to put, pin it in a corner, uh, uh-huh. maybe maybe they always fair catch it. Maybe that kicker is a little uh, probably a little bit penalized because he's, he's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he's good. So teams will, you know, strategize and say, you know what, this kicker's good. Let's give him the respect and fair catch the ball and just take it at the 25. So yeah. it's, it's really an interesting rule, and it's gonna it's gonna look extremely weird the first time you see it. I, I just know sitting up there in a press box, I'm gonna be like, "Oh man, this is this is <laughs> either this is either really dumb or somebody's making a smart decision because the kicker's good." Yeah, yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, that will be that will take some getting used to for sure. It'll be interesting to see what teams. I mean, I guess a lot of coaches will be making decisions on whether they want their return men to get a shot or they'd rather just hand it to their offense. I'm sure Sam Houston, for example, will just be fair catching everything (laughs) i think obviously you you guys know the direction the game of football is going in general Mm -hmm. i think this is a player safety thing just to be honest with you i think i think that's that's why the rules were instituted uh and approved for this season uh it's it's a player safety thing you guys know how collisions are on kickoff Mm -hmm. they're violent they're dangerous uh and then and you know it's it's one way to eliminate you know a possible concussion just just to be honest with you but I don't. I, I'm not a fan of it. I, I think it changes the dynamic of a game, and and you guys have seen how special teams have completely altered games for James Madison. Huge uh, in their favor. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Yeah, it's going to be a chance for someone like Juwan Hamilton to get on the field, or you know, I mean, last year we saw it with Marcus Marshall a lot when Cardin <laughs> was healthy early in the season. You, you get a chance for some of your talented players to make plays, and that will be interesting to see how they how they go about it. Yeah. So now it sounds yeah. like well, well, the scrimmage over the weekend. It sounds like it was kind of a, a reverse image of the previous one, in that the offense really, really got it done over the weekend. But Houston seems really high on this on the defense, and he doesn't seem like one who blows smoke. But do you think it's justified? The defense, like you mentioned, is replacing seven guys, but Houston's talking about it like it has the potential to maybe be as good or as effective as last year. The, the thing is, is and like, like I said, they, they've had guys, the guys that are stepping into roles, most of them have been in the program for at least two years. So mm-hmm. it's not like two years ago where, where Houston and Trot 
had to, you know, teach everybody the defense, grow the unit together, and it kind of baby steps one at a time. This unit's young, and they haven't played a ton, uh, but they've at least been in the system. So the only thing they need is experience, and they've got to gain chemistry. That, that unit last year was just so connected with the way they played. Everybody understood their purpose, their role, uh, whether it was Ankara or Jordan Brown or Raven Green or uh, whoever, Hawkins and Herford at linebacker. That unit was just so connected because they had grown together. Mm-hmm. And that's what this defense probably isn't going to have week one, week two, week three. Maybe not until, you know, toward the end of the season, toward November, December. You never know. Uh, that will take some time. But at least within the program, and I think this is justified, it, it makes a difference when you have guys at least playing in the defense for a couple of years, even if they're not getting those game experience snaps. Uh, so I think that that is the biggest difference from, you know, having to build a defense from scratch and having a defense where at least you have some players that have, have seen the system or are aware of it, have sat in the film sessions, have been in the meeting rooms and, mm-hmm. and been coached up to play in this defense and been recruited to play in this defense. So right. I think I think that is a big deal. And, and that, that, I think that's that's fair in, in, in Houston's assessment of, you know, why the defense would be good. Now, of course, there's always that, that, that worry, worrisome feeling that <laughs> – fans could have is that you know you're running out of defense with seven new starters so right. uh so it could go either way it's yeah, weird that, though because yeah yeah i mean no you make a good point about them being in the system of value in that the first year it really it not only were they teaching the guys kind of on the fly i got the impression as a fan that they almost were were spending maybe the first half of the season trying to break bad habits and get oh, yeah. guys to go back to playing in the scheme and assignment football um the Everett Weathers years were, were a lot of things, but they were not really great for defense. You know, yeah. it was kind of like really just put put eleven athletes out there and let them go chase the ball carrier. So it, you got the sense that Trout really had to kind of break them down, and he was doing it through the season. Now, come playoff time, they became an amazing unit, but in the beginning of the season, it was it was kind of a bit of concern. It looked like it was going to be one of those Jamie teams that just had to outscore everybody. So. It makes sense that you've kind of got people, even if they're not seeing the field, like you mentioned, they understand what they're going to do, and they've been processing it for a year or two. Um, I don't know. Just it, You can see where the potential is there and how it could be an easier transition than two years ago. Yeah, that's why That's why I think with, with guys like D'Angelo Amos and uh, I think you look at John Dacca, uh, you look at Rondell. Rondell Carter played last year. He, he Holloway. Hard, but he, he played. Holloway's been in the system. <laughs> I think you look at that, guys like that, and then you – I think another thing that, that really helped them is that they'll be able to mask some problems <laughs> with Moreland, Oliver, and Rashad Robinson. Yeah, Those three guys give them, give them you know, a little bit of a security blanket. Uh, if, if things start to go wrong with the front four, the linebackers, and the safeties can't cover, uh, those guys, those three can, can pretty much cover one-on-one uh, with – with just about anybody, Oliver is probably better suited against you know a uh, bigger tight end or an inside receiver because he's played that nickel position so well. Uh, and they're going to try to keep him on the field. He was doing some outside linebacker stuff at the beginning of camp, uh, and is and is ready to take on that role. At least, at least that's what Rashad and, and Jimmy had told me. Uh, but I think those three, you know, with those three, they that defense can do a lot because of that. Those three's ability. Uh, to cover in one-on-one, one-on-one man coverage. That's got to help a lot of things because they, they're definitely going to put eight and nine in the box most of the time. 
and dare you to go against those guys. And hopefully the Carter brothers can uh, get some pressure up front as well. So, yeah. Yeah, Rondell Carter had a fantastic offseason. Okay. Uh, he, he's, he's emerged as the leader of the team. Uh, he's, he's the guy everybody looks toward. Uh, Good to hear. For, you know, motivation. Uh, I was told he was a man child in the weight room. Uh, <laughs> and he was, he was their hardest worker in the weight room. Uh, so I, I think, you know, you, if you're looking for a guy that's that's really stepped up in a year where they need some leadership because there's a void without mm-hmm. Brian Shore, without Andrew Anker, without Aaron Stinney, I think Rondell Carter is is one of the guys. He's, he's only a junior and he's only been here for a year at JMU, but uh, he's 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 that guy for them this year. That is good to hear. Yeah. Uh, Stapleton looks like he put some time in the weight room, too, this year. <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, he's um, gotten a little bigger too. Yep. Yeah. One other part point we wanted to ask about is they got a couple new assistant coaches this year. Um, mm-hmm. We obviously are not that familiar with that part of the game, but wondering um, how do you how have you seen those guys settling in? Yeah, I've talked to a few of the players that, that have new position coaches as well. Uh, Warren Beelan, linebackers coach Holloway, had told me you know he thinks Beelan's had some really great experience feeling's a long time coach and uh that you know the biggest change with that is is feeling uses a little bit different terminology from what uh the previous linebacker coach byron Dweet used uh, so i i think i think Beelan's fine for them at linebacker uh you look at offensive line with steve shankweiler the new offensive line coach uh they've gone to a very fundamentally based approach uh, which is a little different from Brian Steinspring and the year before Jamal Powell. That's a position that's had a lot of turnover with coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Shank Weiler seems to be, you know, heavy on the fundamentals, uh, very, very heavy on the fundamentals. And, and he, he's been in Division One football. I think this is, what, his 36th season in Division One football, been in coaching for 40 years. Uh, Houston's done a great job to bring in guys with experience. And then he's also got a guy like Rico Wright, the new cornerback coach, who, who takes over for Trip Weaver. Uh, and and Carico Wright, he's a young guy, played at Clemson, uh, and really does a nice job of relating to players, at least from what I can see on the field. And, uh, you know, that group he coaches up, we were just talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun players. group to step into. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, if things go wrong. Make, make a coach look good, yeah. Yeah, if things go wrong, maybe there is something wrong. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so, so that that would be kind of my thoughts. Obviously, Fontel Mons was here last year at JMU, uh, slid into the recruiting coordinator role now as well, and they've done a very nice job uh, recruiting and, and getting some kids that have Power Five offers from from Big oh, yeah. Ten and SEC schools, uh, and, and kind of finding those kids and, and convincing them that, that JMU is the place uh, to be if they want to play, if they want to you know compete for championships. Uh, so they've done a nice job in, in the recruiting side, too. Nice. <laughs> Darn right. Well, where would you put this team in terms of progress? Um, and I, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this. I, I guess this goes hand-in-hand hand with your biggest concerns. Um, but where would you put them in terms of progress at this point in preseason compared to the last two teams? I think the offense is probably about as far along as it can get with two quarterbacks splitting first-team reps. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if, if one guy was taking the reps, I would think they're probably a little bit further along offensively, but mm-hmm. you can't do that until you pick a starting quarterback. So 
Uh, for, for that to happen, I, I think that's, that's going to take a little bit of time. But I think offensively they're built to run the ball anyway, and as long as they can run the ball, uh, they'll be fine on offense. This is a very good team that's coming back. Uh, defensively, uh, like I was saying before, chemistry-wise, they're not going to be what that group was last year. That, that takes mm-hmm. time. That takes, you know, a ton yeah. of snaps together. Uh, but I think they're athletic enough. They have enough talent. They've recruited well enough on the defensive side. And they have enough guys that have been in the system where they'll still be a very, very good defense. They may not lead the country in interceptions and sacks and scoring defense like they did a year ago. Uh, but they'll be very, very good in one of the top units in the CAA for sure. And the CAA has got a lot of good defenses again. Yeah. So I think I think those two were quite along the special teams. Houston spends a ton of time on special teams in practice. They always have, you know, two or three practices mm-hmm. a week that are special teams focused. Uh, so I think special teams will be good. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're cruising along in year three uh, of the <laughs> Houston era. All right. Now, what you already mentioned that tight end is the one position where they don't have the depth across the field. What do you think is the biggest concern for this team heading into the season? Biggest concern? Uh, if either quarterback is any good. Yeah. Pretty simple. I think, I think that's fair. I mean, they've looked good in practice, and they've looked good, you know, competing against each other. But, you know, what happens when, when you step on the field on Saturdays? Uh, Cole Johnson and Ben DiNucci have played in games before. You know, mm-hmm. DiNucci was a starter at Pittsburgh. Uh, didn't work out there. They they had a freshman, you know, sensation kind of come along in Kenny Pickett and, and take that job away. Uh, Johnson, you know, you're playing behind behind Brian Shore. You're, you're going to get on the field, you know, in a limited amount of time. They've both improved since, since spring ball started, and the quarterback competition has really been on since DiNucci arrived. Uh, but I think, you know, you, you think about the team and what Brian Shore did for that offense uh, and, and reasons why the running game was so good and receivers were able to get open is because every defense had to respect Shore's ability to get outside the pocket, run down the field, make a play, or make some ridiculous throw with his back <laughs> facing the defense. It, right. it just, he had that intangible to do some different things. And and I, you just don't know if these if either guy is – going to be they don't have to be Brian Shore but they've got to be good enough and you don't know if either guy is until you know until heads start flying on Saturday mm-hmm. well that's 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 a good one for sure um okay so one off topic or sort of off the field thing um before we get to two overtime questions we got from fans for you oh, um okay. yeah so um have you we were just wondering from a media standpoint and and this may be weird in the preseason but have you know, Jamie, this is a unprecedented run of success, really the last four years, but <laughs> certainly the last two years. Um, and we were just wondering if you'd noticed a change in sort of the volume of media even covering the team uh, uh, at all. A little bit, a little bit. There's been a little more interest, I'd say. I think, you know, because most practices, it's, it's, you know, pretty much just me it, and Dave Thomas at, at most practices. Uh, TJ Eck, also the new the new TV guy at uh, mm-hmm. WHSV, uh, he, he's at most practices, uh, and then occasionally, you know, on a weekend or you know, you get a media day event, uh, and I'm sure this will be the same thing for game days. You know, you'll get a couple more papers, whether it's Richmond, okay. Charlottesville, you'll get a couple more TV stations, whether it's you know Richmond, Charlottesville, Virginia Beach area, 
So you'll get a little more interest on game days, I think, than maybe in the past. Uh, but at practice, it's, it's a little different. Uh, it's pretty much just been me and Dave every day for the most part. Uh, yeah. But I, I think, you know, with, as the season gets closer and as uh, – as you know, game days start to hit. You'll, you'll see more. You'll see more media members on game yeah. days there. Okay. Well, it is nice to hear that uh, JMU legend Nikki Newman will be officially doing the sideline duties on the radio this year. So that's good to hear, too. Uh, so we got a couple questions, Greg, um, from people on Twitter today uh, who wanted to ask a couple things. Rob and I had talked about it over time. We usually do an off-topic segment that is non-sports related. But uh, we got some good sports ones that people wanted to ask that they really wanted to hear from you, I think. And uh, one of them was, who do you think will be the leading rusher who will score the most touchdowns among the running backs? Ooh, that's good. That's, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I'll, go with, I'll go with Marcus Marshall for touchdowns. He, okay. he had 11 last year. No one else is close. I think the leading rusher will be Cardin Johnson. Oh, wow. That's really interesting to hear. And, and, and kind of exciting for us, I think, Rob, right? Oh yeah. yeah, I was thinking Marshall. Jar- Marshall. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, too. I was thinking. I was definitely thinking Marshall, and then I, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about um, the touchdown thing, but I thought Marshall would be kind of heads and shoulders above everybody in terms of if there was a workhorse back. But uh, Johnson, I mean, you saw what he did last year against East Carolina. That guy has so much talent. He can make all the runs. He can run people over. He can, you know, run by people. It would be terrific if he could stay healthy for a full season. Yeah, and. and- yeah, it just – you guys saw – as long as he's on the field, he's, he's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. It was, it, was, it was that way, you know, a couple of years ago when, you know, they were playing – they were playing oh, yeah. early in the season. They were kind of a tandem between uh, Johnson and Khalid at running back. Both of those guys were, were pretty equally as talented. But, you know, Johnson caught that pass in the flat against North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Ran, uh, it was yeah. – I mean, yeah. it, was, it was faster than anybody on the field. And that, that, that team had good speed. Yeah. No, yeah. he's, he's something different. And Trey Sharp, too. He's a game oh, yeah. changer. Like, he's not going to be a guy who's going to get, you know, 20 carries, but he's going to make the most of every carry. And it's it's pretty exciting to hear that he had a big pass uh, big pass reception over the weekend. I think that's definitely a way that he can, can separate himself from the other guys, maybe get on the field more in passing situations or be a little bit more of that um, dynamic threat, whereas the other guys are just going to kind of hand up, you know, get the ball and go. Right, right. And that's what I think, too. I think Sharp will be involved in the passing game and, and get touches, you know, when he can. He'll be in there when they go two-back system, mm-hmm. uh, multi-back system. So I, I think, you know, all three of them will be involved. Uh, Hamilton and, the, and special teams, Percy, if they need him. Yeah, that, that two-point conversion against Weaver State might have been the biggest run of the year last year from Trey Sharp. So, yeah. yeah that's uh... Now, could, could it be a situation with Percy, maybe where he's a guy who – who might be impacted by this new red shirt rule where he maybe plays, but stay under that four game thing. Or is he a guy you think that they're going to try to get in and get carries in week in and week out? No, I, I, I think he's a prime candidate for that red shirt rule. I, 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 I do. I think, I think, you know, maybe they, if they don't need him early on, they don't play him. And I don't know if they're thinking about strategy or, or whatever, but you know, if you look toward the end of the season and you need a fresh back, how much of a luxury would that be? Yeah, if Percy Ajay Obisay hadn't hasn't played much and he's good to go for the postseason uh, without having to burn a red shirt. Oh yeah, and one thing you had mentioned last time you were on the podcast, uh, you talked about Hamilton coming in. and It was as much a move to balance the classes as yeah. anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, so that again would be another another reason to keep Percy and maybe hold him back a little bit yeah. to give him more years of eligibility to really help help strengthen that position down the road. 
Yeah, and then that yeah, you know, if you look toward the future, it'll be it'll be Hamilton and and Ajay Obisay, and then uh, uh, they'll have C.J. Jackson, a Hermitage grad who's who's committed. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, senior at Hermitage, not a Hermitage grad yet. Yeah, this Hermitage yeah. pipeline is kicking in now. Yeah. Yeah, you think about all the players they've got. Mateo Jackson, mm-hmm. he's going to see some time this year. I I don't think he'll be impacted by that redshirt rule. I think he's going to they're going to play him if they can. Okay. Uh, I think because they need some help at linebacker, he, he's going to be in the mix there as well. That's good to hear. And you're right about that. I hadn't thought about the fact of pulling, holding someone back for later in the season, potentially, which uh, you weren't around, but I'm sure you've heard the 2004 championship team needed every running back on their roster when they got <laughs> to the playoffs. So, that's, a position, yeah. that's a position where you never know. I mean, yep. think about the last couple of years. Cardin's obviously had his injuries. Trey was banged up at times last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you just you, it's just you, you never you never know at that position because it yep. takes such a beating. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind, we got one more. Um, people wanted to know who do you think will have more interceptions this year, Rashad or Jimmy? Oh man, <laughs> oh, this man. is an impossible question. I think, right? Yeah, that's that's, that's rough. <laughs> Jimmy had more last year. I, I asked Jimmy this the other day, and he said <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> well, of course, right? yeah, the least shocking thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or he said he was going to try, uh, right. but uh, <laughs> I, I'll go. I'll, I'll go Jimmy. I'll go Jimmy. I think he's going to have more opportunities because I think they're not even going to throw it. Going to avoid throwing the ball toward Rashad. Right. That's that is a nice question to uh to have. That's right? a that's a pick your poison situation. Yeah. You really yeah. want to throw it, Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not winning either way. <laughs> Here's another one for you, Greg. Which is going to be higher by the end of the season, Jacob Degrom's ERA or Jose Reyes's batting average? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh man! Poor Degrom. Oh, you no, guys, Ray- Reyes has been a little better lately. A little better. They just he's up now. Lately, he's I don't think now. he cracks two hundred. But uh, no, he's at one ninety nine. Yeah, he's at one ninety nine. Oh god, it's been a brutal year. They've had a good last week, but it's been a brutal year. <laughs> they have, they have. Well, they're they're tied up now, but yeah. um, as bad as it is with the wins, Degrom has been a treat to watch. You, you know when it went downhill. You know when it started going downhill. When I was on this podcast with you guys, I know, time, I know, that nightmare game against the Nationals. <laughs> and, uh, I was, I were, I was all happy, and then all of a sudden the bullpen happened. It imploded. Yep. Uh, well, uh, I was at the game for the Nats. <laughs> Well, I was at the game two weeks ago when the Mets lost by three touchdowns. So. <laughs> it was awful. I dragged my whole family there. All four of us. They went down. They went down twenty-one. I was like, "All right, we're getting on the metro." Yeah, you, know, you don't get those three hours back. You hours <laughs> no, you back. don't. You don't. It was bad. But you never know. I, I like McNeil and some of these other. You know, Nimmo. Of course, he's hurt, but I, I'm remaining optimistic for the future. Yeah, yeah, not. You just got to stay loyal. That's the only. That's the only way to deal with the match. Just, just yep. And hope the will pond sell. Hope the will yeah. pond sell. Oh jeez. That nice. sound like Redskins fans. There, we just trying to get. We're trying to frame Danny in some way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that really is. Yeah. Isn't there a meet? Oh yeah. There's got to be something we can do. Yeah. Um, well, Greg, we can't thank you enough. Rob, do you have anything else? No, just Greg. Thank you. We, you know, yeah. we really enjoy having you on. Um, and on behalf of all of the fans, it's one of the things everybody's talking about this off season is how terrific the coverage has been from you, um, both in the DNR and Rivals. Um, so just can't thank you enough. It's been so great. It's always tough to be a fan in the off season, but you've made it that much better for all of us. Um, just pumping out great coverage day in and day out, and we really appreciate it. And and really consider ourselves fortunate to have you covering the Dukes. 
Well, I appreciate the kind words. I'm just just trying to do my job the best I can. Uh, DNR, everything's going well there. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to another another football season. And uh, you know, game start game start on Saturday uh, with, with week <laughs> zero. So uh, yeah, and T Jacksonville State. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you, Greg. And uh, hopefully, we if we're down there on a on a Friday or a Sunday for that matter. Um, we will make an effort to uh, come find you. I know you're working most of the times when we are down there, but we appreciate it a lot. All right, guys. Yeah, just just let me know. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Greg. Right. Thanks. Right. And thanks again to to Greg for uh, joining us tonight. That was outstanding. Um, just on the way out, we want to thanks again to Pale Fire. Um, this this will be an episode they're proud to sponsor. I'm sure. This is not just Rob and I going back and forth. <laughs> All right. Um, Go by the tap room as always. Um, mention Jamie's Sports Blog Podcast. See what happens. Uh, and again, Rob and I will be back. We're going to have a lot of fun next week. Uh, you know, it's tough to beat having Greg's kind of inside knowledge, but we are going to have so much fun next week uh, previewing the season. I guess we'll both probably force each other to give some type of uh, season prediction, right, Rob? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I got I got to get on that. Yeah, all, I, I got I got to start digging in. Yeah, guarantee. I'm going to have all. Yeah. All Harry O'Kelly hot takes. Yeah, guaranteed to be wrong. Um, maybe we'll just have not Mike Houston on. He'll say they're going to win every game and by 70 to nothing. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. There are worse ways to approach the season. <laughs> yes, there are. Yeah. Um, but thank you, everybody, for listening. And, Rob, I will talk to you next week. All right. See you later, everybody. Go Dukes.